You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's an old man called Mississippi. That's the old man that I'd like to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land ain't free? Old man river, that old man river. Hi, I'm Andrew Child, and welcome to 50 Key Stage Musicals, The Podcast, a companion piece to the Routledge Press publication, 50 Key Stage Musicals, which is available for purchase by going to routledge.com or clicking the link below in today's show description. Today's episode focuses on Chapter 4, Showboat, and with us today is the choreographer of the 1994 revival of Showboat, Susan Stroman. Susan Stroman is a director and choreographer whose notable theater productions include The Producers, Crazy For You, Contact, Oklahoma, The Merry Widow, and The Scottsboro Boys. She's a five-time Tony Award winner, and in addition, she is a recipient of two Laurence Olivier Awards, five Drama Desk Awards, eight Outer Critics Circle Awards, two Lucille Lortel Awards, and the George Abbott Award for Lifetime Achievement in the American Theater. Susan, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I'm very, very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So I'd love to jump right in with the question of the hour. All of these chapters in this book are what we're considering key musicals. Could you sort of give us your elevator pitch, your take on why Showboat is a key musical in terms of musical theater history. Well, I mean, Showboat was absolutely groundbreaking, you know, and, and it has the themes of family and theater and even uh, racial discrimination. It, and uh, for something that happened in 1927, it was still very radical in 1994 when I did it. Mm. Um, and I feel like it for people um, who like to do shows that that uh, have more um, not not darker themes, but themes that are more profound or uh, I think Showboat really, we kind of stand on the, on the shoulders of Showboat for all of us um, because it, it uh, had so many different themes. And for me, um, choreographically, I know when, when Hal Prince asked me to uh, choreograph this big production, uh, it really spans from you know the 1880s to the 1920s. So I was able to really talk about the history of dance and and how society uh, affected dance at that time. And also, mm. you know, Showboat didn't have like tap dancing or, or showgirls or all the staging is realistic. So that mm. also made it different from other musicals. So when I did my choreography, it was all based on authentic times. You know, uh, you know whenever I do a show, I do research on the, mm. the geographical area and, and the decade. But um, for Showboat, you know, it, it was a very, very important time, very big turning point in America in society. So we were able to tap into a major amount of history when we were doing this big production of Showboat. So I would say when you come in as the choreographer, you're really you're putting your stamp on it. We know this is a Susan Stroman show. So I would love to know what does research look like when you're asked by Hal Prince to choreograph Showboat? Where, what's step one? Where does that even begin? 
Well, of course, I'm very lucky to live in New York City by the the New York City Library. So, I mean, mm. I went right over there right away. And okay. um, uh, uh, but you know, it, it's tapping into um, you, even the characters of Frank and Ellie. You know, right away they are a, a dance team of the time. Mm-hmm. But to tap into what that choreography would be, you know, they would do one step, two step. They would do. Um, uh, the castle walk, you know, mm. and then they would do tap steps, but they were more like uh, clog steps that would be one would think would be Irish uh, immigration coming to the States. So that kind of Irish clogging. Okay. So putting that in, you know, and then, wow. of course, when we get get to the 1920s, there's a big um, Charleston that's in showboat. Mm-hmm. And, and it, the, so the dance goes from uh, rather staid and uh, stately to, you know, everyone dancing with abandonment in the Charleston, even, uh, you know, Florence Klotz's wonderful costumes to mm. go from being everybody's covered up to everybody's, you know, d- dancing with the uh, beads and, you know, fringe. Mm. And, you know, so it really shows how uh, society was changing during that time. And, and, uh, getting dance dancing with abandon and and uh, we were able to show that for sure Mm. so what does that when you're coming in with these different ideas and the ways that you want to trace through history with dance how does that fit in and mesh in with what how prince was doing working on the show well how had a wonderful idea he wanted me to show time passing in montages Mm. And I was able to do that with um, Florence Klotz's wonderful costumes uh, uh, and, and show the passage of time and, and do that through with dance. Uh, Eugene Lee, the wonderful set designer, gave us the Palmer House in Chicago. So I was able mm. to have characters come through those doors at the Palmer House, those revolving doors. And they would come through the years and they all had characters where they were a family or a soldier, uh, or, you know, or lovers. They they all had characters but and the fashion mm. would change. But then I would do dance that was appropriate as they came through the doors and they were ready to hit hit the, the nightlife in Chicago. So it, it's, it's a great collaboration between set designer, costume designer, director and uh, and and. Uh, making Hal uh, feel like he's showing the audience that we are moving forward in time. So Mm. we were able to move forward in time through choreography. So this chapter in the book talks about how Showboat is one of those foundational works that takes music, takes dance, takes comedy, and tells one straight through story. Like you already mentioned, that hits on some dark and or heavier or more serious themes. So I'd love to know from you who has directed and choreographed The Merry Widow for the Metropolitan Opera, how does this show sort of take that operetta and progress it? And how does this sort of fit in a progression toward what we now know as American musical theater? Well, it's it's definitely, uh, for example, in Showboat, you also, these characters grow and these characters change. So you see Magnolia as sort of a, an innocent young girl who mm-hmm. um, befriends everyone on the showboat and has no trouble befriending them. 
And mm. then you see her grow up, you see her have heartache, you see her marry a man who becomes a gambler, who leaves her. And uh, uh, so she, she really grows up and goes through the emotions of someone who has came from a very happy life on a showboat and then um, goes out into the real world and, and is, is um, uh, goes through great, great heartache as, as the years go on. Mm. And we see that in Ravenel also that he has addiction to gambling. And mm. so it, it, it's amazing that the, this particular musical touches on that also, you know, mm. and, and we see, um, Captain Andy and Parthy, uh, you know, the kind of showbiz family um, who really don't want things to change on the showboat. And all of a sudden, um, you know, vaudeville steps are now changing into a wild Charleston and, mm. and they don't know what they're looking at. So it really shows how society um, pushes forward, but it does tap into darker elements. Um, something like The Merry Widow, what was wonderful about being able to uh, direct and choreograph that at the Metropolitan Opera, um, I was able to use dance to transition those sets. A lot of times at the opera, um, the curtain comes down and they change the set. And mm -hmm. then the curtain comes up and there's a different set. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but in, uh, in musical theater, in the, you know, on Broadway or whatever, we, we push it forward with the choreography. So the curtain stayed up and I was able to have a can-can move us from, uh, mm. you know, a garden set to uh, Chez Paris and <laughs> to Maxine's um, and do that with choreography. But that, what's, what's wonderful about that particular piece too, it's an operetta, but it is about an adult relationship. Uh, they were lovers when they were very young and now have gone through many things. And she was married and now she's a widow and she meets this man again. And uh, so it's it's lovely because it's about people who have actually lived a life and now have a second chance to get mm. together. So it's um, more of an adult relationship. And I think that's why people love that story so much. Mm. So... I'd love to know and pick your brain about when you are working on a more contemporary work with serious themes, like when you worked on the Scottsboro Boys, do you feel like there is a presence in that room? Is there an awareness that you're building on something that Showboat has allowed, that Showboat sort of opened doors for? Absolutely. And I think how Prince would agree that it was... Um showboat that that he stood on the shoulders of to be able to do um kiss of the spider woman cabaret mm. um shows that dealt with nazis that dealt with latin prisons uh that that, that and, and for 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 me and my collaborators too i know that because we are aware of showboat we know it well uh, we're able to take uh chances we're able to take more chances with something like the Scottsboro Boys, that is mm. more profound and, and makes people think, you know, because I think um, even when you when you show this to an audience, the best kind of show you can do is that when the audience leaves, they go home and think about what they saw. Mm. Uh, there are a lot of musicals that are, you know, just you don't think about them after you see them. Right. Uh, but if you can create a show that um, really makes an audience examine uh, certain attitudes 
then then I think you feel like you've really succeeded. Mm. So you worked on Showboat and that was 1994, which in a certain sense, not that long ago, but in another sense, feels like multiple lifetimes ago. So I'd love to know if you were approached with choreographing or directing and choreographing Showboat tomorrow, where would your mind be going? How do you keep it? Like you just said, can you keep refreshing Showboat so that it stays one of these musicals that stays with us after we see it? Um, yes, I think, um, the th- well, for one thing, uh, Showboat has 73 people in it. Mm. Uh, so in a way, one would think it would be unproducible today. Really? But, yeah, just with 73 people, sure. Okay. Unless a big opera did it, you know. Okay. Big opera you, company could do it. You think you know? even like the difference from Broadway 94 to Broadway now, that would be a deal breaker? Sure. I mean, now Broadway wants to have six people on stage. Okay. You know? <laughs> now Broadway wants to have as many, you know, the, the least amount of people for a show to run. Wow. And so finances have, have really um, uh, inf- affected the creative process uh, so for Broadway. Just for reference, 74 people showboat. Do you know off the top of your head, like how many people were in the producers? Yes, and producers, I think there were, I think I had 19 on stage. Really? Yeah. So wow. they had so they had a lot of magic costume changes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so they, wow. There was a big cast there. Yeah. Okay. But they all, they all changed their costumes all night for different Oh, wow. Costumes. Yeah. So budget aside, let's say the Met tapped you to do Showboat. Um what where would your mind go how is showboat different now from 1994 well i think it would be a whole new creative team i don't think it would be me you know Mm. uh, i think they it would be time for a whole new uh diverse creative team diverse set design team costumes lights the whole thing you know Mm. it would have to be um put into the hands of uh, a diverse team and and uh, and done in another way, you know. So I don't think that that um, me being a part of it any longer is is a possibility. Okay. Wow. Um, so you've mentioned multiple times now costumes. Um, I'd love to know how work on costumes affects your work as a choreographer, as a director, because it sounds like you are heavily influenced by the costume design of the actors you're working with. Well, you know, as a director and choreographer, the design is, is uh, a big part of what you do. I could make the most beautiful dance step in the world, but if it's not in the right costume, it won't matter. Or I can make the most beautiful dance step in the world. If it's not lit right, it won't matter. Mm-hmm. So the collaboration with your costume designer and your lighting designer, your set designer is very important for your own work and for young directors and choreographers, I think the more they know about um, the other departments, the better off their own work is going to be. So it's not just about blocking actors. It's not just about giving people dance steps. It is a a huge collaboration of a big vision and Mm. and, uh, 
the more that you're on the same page, the the more that you think alike for a, a, a visual goal, mm-hmm. you know, the better off that product's going to be. So, so for me, um, yes, I, I'm I'm very close to all my designers, and and uh, will will always be that. It will always be that way as I go on to continue directing and choreographing. When you were first starting out, do you feel like you had a good foundational understanding of different design elements? Or is that something that has sort of come with experience as a director, as a choreographer? Oh, it definitely comes with experience. Absolutely. You know, I, I had an eye for it, of course, at a very young age. But the more that you work with, you know, masters, you know, masterful mm. set designers and masterful costume designers, the more... Uh, you understand, yes. So the the more work you do, the better off you're you're going to be. Hmm. So would you say? And I know we're kind of jumping around here a little bit. Um, would you say that of your work, would Scottsboro Boys be the most sort of in line with the work of Showboat? Uh, in the sense that it has um, um, themes that that are about dark themes that are about um, um, society at the time and and exposing mm. certain elements of society that aren't necessarily found in musicals. Yes, so that mm. would be the same. Would you? So when you were working on Scottsboro Boys, was that was that process? I'm sure there was a knowledge of the tension around the themes that you were dealing with. Um, but how do you approach that as a director coming into a room and knowing that you are dealing with heavy, intense subject matter that hopefully is going to leave the audience thinking about this show later, but can also be so exhausting, so even traumatic for everyone working in the room? Well, there was great conversation, non nonstop mm. conversation about the history and the research and what we were trying to do, what we were trying to say. But um, I have to say it was the contribution of the actors, you know, uh, mm. they're um, they were able to tap in to not only their research and their homework and of doing the piece, but they were able to tap into their their own essence, their own beings, and uh, and and what's happening to them in contemporary times. So um, it, it they really contributed and and created those characters. You know, mm-hmm. I could I could tell them how to how to tap dance over here and be on number seven, and I'm going to give you a good light, and the set's going to be great. But they made those characters come to life. They, they absolutely made them come to life. And, and, but it was that kind of room. It was very, very collaborative and lots of conversations and, and each character, because there wasn't historically a lot of information about each Scott Spur boy, mm-hmm. they had to create it. They had mm-hmm. to create it. We had little bits that we could find. But they really had to create each each uh, each Scottsboro boy, and they did, and mm. and that that's why the show was so powerful. That is why the show got across the footlights so mm. so uh, vividly. Um, it's because of what they brought to it. And you, of course, were working on that show with an iconic songwriting team. Yes. Um, what was that like to have them 
in the room for that creative process? Well, Cantor and Ebb loved the idea, you know, when we got together, we had created uh, And the World Goes Round together, Steel Pier together, mm. and um, uh, I had done an off-Broadway production of Florida Red Menace with them, and we, we wanted to get together just to see what we could collaborate on and create, and we decided to do something that was truthful, something that was real, something was, that was based in history, because many times in the musical theater, you're in a more fantastical, you know, time, right, right. you're in fantasy. So we wanted to do something real. And, um, and of course, they have done shows that dealt with um, Nazis and, mm -hmm. and uh, Latin prisons, as I mentioned before. And, um, but uh, we thought we'd research the, um, the great uh, American trials. And of course, the Scottsboro Boys is one of the greatest. And as mm -hmm. we dealt more into the research on it, finding about the different characters and that in fact, it, um, it changed the judicial system. It changed the mm. way juries are set up. And it had a huge um, effect on American history. And, uh, and so Kander and Neb, uh, they were, you couldn't stop them. They, cause uh -huh. they love to write for the underdog too. You know, they love to mm. write, maybe this time I'll get lucky. Maybe this time I'll win. They, oh. they want to write for the underdog. So they couldn't get enough of writing uh, the story of the Scottsboro Boys. Um, mm -hmm. John Kander talked about remembering reading about them in the paper when he was a little boy, and then it just disappeared and the story was gone. And in fact, wow. oddly, the story is not told in, in uh, history classes. So Kander right. Neb really wanted uh, people to remember this story and know the story, and in essence, bring the Scottsboro Boys back to life. Okay. Do you think that your experience on that show would be similarly mirrored with the original production of Showboat? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I think um, uh, when it was done originally, I, it was so brave. I, mm. Who knew what was happening in 1927 <laughs> when they decided to do this? You know, I, I guess Ziegfeld thought he, had, he could tell this giant story um, and because he was able to have a, a million people on stage. Mm. But, but for him to a man who was usually used to doing Follies Girls and and comics and jugglers, mm -hmm. that he would do a show that had uh, a, a miscegenation scene and um, and people growing older and people having heartache and disappointments. And it's, it's, it was a pretty bold move and uh, pretty incredible. And also, of course, he had Jerome Kern. Um, you know that that music is sensational, mm. just sensational. And and that song "Can't Help Loving That Man of Mine" is one of the most perfect melodies ever written. Um, mm. You know, we we haven't talked about the music, but in fact, that that is that music resonates today, um, and it's it's so beautiful and so rich. And, and, you know, you, you wonder where the Jerome Kearns are today, you know? <laughs> mm, do you think that the staying power of that music has sort of kept Showboat in our consciousness? Oh, of course. Yeah, of course. Because I think we, we over the years, have heard those interpretations of those songs sung in the, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And, you know, I mean, it just... Uh, 
and people sing them all the time. And mm-hmm. so they'll all, always live. They will always be alive. Even if there's not a production of Showboat happening, that, that music is happening somewhere. Mm. And is it for you is sort of the backbone of the score? Can't help loving that man. I think so. I think um, of all the melodies in the show, that that one I think resonates the most. Uh, in our production, we used a song called "Misery's Coming Round" that was um, uh, not uh, was is always is cut a lot of times when people mm-hmm. do show up, but we wanted to to use it and and it's it sort of talks about um, how there's there's trouble coming that the people can feel that something's going to go wrong. And of course, it's before that scene where, where Julie is kicked off of the showboat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, but that song too is very important. I know Hal really wanted to have that sung. And if you have a beautiful chorus of singers, it's, it's an amazing piece. Mm. Would you constitute showboat as an underdog story because of Julie? Uh, well, I think we, you root for her, mm-hmm. you know, and it doesn't end well for her, but you root for her because you are, um, up, upset when, um, this happens when she's kicked off of the showboat. And, um, so, so in, in essence, yes, you root, you really do root for her. Um, there are many characters in, in the piece that you root for and you, you want you want to have a happy ending and, and um, not many have a happy ending. No. Mm. So when you approach uh, work sort of almost contemporary with Showboat, uh, Oklahoma, of course you have the Agnes DeMille choreography sort of hanging there as this iconic thing that you have to approach. Did you, I guess, first of all, was that something that was intimidating? And second of all, was there anything comparable to that with Showboat? Was there any sort of expectation that you felt was already in place that you had to sort of contend with or meet or subvert? Uh, No, I think when when Trevor Nunn asked me to do Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. um, he said he wanted it to be a, uh, a different approach and that we had uh, the blessing by the estate to change the music. I have a wonderful dance arranger named David Crane who uh, changed all the dance music to match my choreography. Wow. And uh, so he was with me. He was also on Showboat with me. So okay. um, definitely when I choreograph, I arrange uh, the music with my dance arranger. So if my dancer leaps in the air, so does the orchestra. <laughs> and. Um, so it really, uh, the, the orchestra is always uh, supports my choreography. And that happens in a rehearsal room with a dance arranger. So mm-hmm. for Oklahoma, we took the classic melodies, but then changed it for um, my choreography and my staging. And, but it was definitely doing the research on that. It was a turn, turn of the century in America and it was about fighting for territory. And mm. so all the choreography is fight oriented. Or there are moments in the in the choreography where they play "Can you top this?" or "King of the Hill," or you mm. know they compete with each other. So doing that research about fighting for territory informed the kind of choreography I would I would do. And uh, 
So for Trevor, that helped show uh, a darker side of Oklahoma. Mm. Did you happen to catch the recent revival of Oklahoma? No, I didn't oh, see you that. Didn't? Okay. No, I didn't see that yet. That's okay, because no. we're talking about, you know, your production certainly does show a darker side, um, particularly the dream sequence. Uh, the dream ballet is very dark and scary, um, but in such a fabulous and exciting way. So I'd love to know, you've worked on these foundational pieces from musical theater history. How did those inform or how were they present in the room even tucked in the back of your mind when you were working on contact <laughs> well you know i was very lucky when i came to the city to have the opportunity to work on three classic american musicals that was showboat oklahoma and then i directed and choreographed a, a big production of the music man mm. and those three american classics uh you know they I learned a great deal from them about their structure and how they were put together. Now, something like a contact though is very different. And it, um, it really came out of a vision of seeing a girl in a yellow dress at a bar at one in the morning and uh, uh, seeing her step forward when she would want to dance and retreat back when she was done. And I thought, well, this girl's she's going to change some man's life tonight. And, um, <laughs> And about two weeks later, Andre Bishop said to me, if you have an idea, I'll help you develop it. And I said, you know what? I think I have an idea. And I got with my wonderful friend, John Wyman, who wrote um, Assassins and Pacific Overtures. And we, we created a story about a girl in a yellow dress in a club. And, but when Andre said that to me about creating something, he didn't say, I want you to create a musical. I don't want you to create a ballet, an opera, nothing. Mm -hmm. He just said, create. So we were able to do a form that that was unique uh, in its time to create this piece. And uh, they gave me 18 dancers and about four weeks and uh, came out of the basement with contact. And, you know, it ran for like over three years at, in Lincoln Center. And um, but it that was that was different from where you, you know, have to create an entire score or such for mm. something because in this particular show, the leading player, Boyd Gaines, it starts out with him trying to commit suicide. And um, when someone's about to commit suicide or about to die, their whole life flashes before them. So songs that they know flash before them rather than a new Broadway score flashing before them. Mm. So I use songs that might have been in that particular character's life. And right. so that's why we have familiar songs in that piece that that character would think of before he died. So was that a challenge for you to be working with, you know, pardon if it has derogatory connotations like canned music, as opposed to, oh, by the way, they're going to jump here, make it work, make it work. <laughs> well, still with that in mind, I was still able to with the Pro Tools, I was able to um, oh, make it okay. In a different way, so it wasn't wasn't totally uh, purely uh, what one okay. would hear on the radio. So we did create some stuff there, but yeah, it was different for sure. Yeah. Okay, and then you know the elephant in the room that maybe we've been tiptoeing around. How are these 
early musicals that you were working on, how are they present with you uh, when you're working on the producers? <laughs> well, the producers, again, was another unique one, uh, you know, because I, I do a lot of research on the decade and geographical area of every musical, but on mm -hmm. this musical, you had to be in the world of Mel Brooks. And so that was the most important thing. There had to be comedy in the choreography, in the set, in the costumes, in the lighting, everything. So um, I, I, when Mel approached me, it, I actually knew all about Mel and knew every movie he ever made, the, the 2000 year old man. And, mm. and uh, so I had already been an, uh, aware of, of him and his comedy. Um, so uh, it was an easy thing to fall in love with and, and make happen. But, but, but when, <clears throat> you know, we started, we, he just had the, the screenplay. So we had to make that into a musical uh, script and it's a different animal. The wonderful Tom Meehan who wrote Annie, he's mm -hmm. very good on structure and he was uh, wonderful uh, to guide how to make this great screenplay, Academy Award winning screenplay into mm. a Broadway musical. And what's great about Mel is he's an amazing collaborator. He, you know, you see him with his big personality and and you know, great energy and, and enters a room like nobody else. But in fact, he he is very collaborative and very respectful when we get around the table and he very respectful for people who know what they're doing. And uh, so I think he really, really loved uh, creating a musical. And when you think of all his movies, he does take a nod to, to musicals in all his movies. Oh, there's of some, course. There's some dance number in there. So he was meant to write a musical. Oh, absolutely. And you got to work with him more than once then doing yes, Frankenstein as well. Yes, absolutely. We had a great time. And actually, we just did it recently in London. Well, now I guess it would be four years ago or three, okay. three or four years ago. Um, we did a, a smaller version of it at the Garrick oh. Theater. Um, we did like a vaudeville version of it. Oh, and, cool. And Mel wanted to, to uh, go back at it and make it more small, make it smaller, make it more compact. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and in fact, it was wonderful because his songs have a vaudeville feel to them anyway. Absolutely. So it worked a treat. It really did. It was a huge hit in London. Well, and you two must get along very well because you get a sense from his work that there is such a respect for the foundational pieces. There is such a reliance on the history of the work that he is coming into. Do you feel like there is a synergy there around that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, no. And, and, you know, to to now have him be one of my very good friends. I mean, what, a, what an amazing amazing turn that was to have Mel Brooks in your life yeah oh, he's yeah. Uh, but he's you know he he loves life he um you know really embraces it and and he loves to laugh and he loves to make people laugh and and he is funny all the time you know wow so it's you know so it it's wonderful to be around him and I'm so pleased that he came into the musical theater world and so pleased that he created the producers in Young Frankenstein Oh, absolutely. Would you say that for young directors, young choreographers who are just starting out, do you think that working on 
these foundational works, whether it's Showboat, Oklahoma, The Music Man, The Merry Widow, is that something that you think everyone should be looking into or aspiring to do? Or do you think that that taught you a lot, but is not for everyone? No, I believe everybody uh, coming up the ladder needs to do learn the history of musical theater, sure, and be a part of doing those classics. You know, at, at one point, you know, I stopped doing revivals because I only wanted to work on my own uh, pieces. I went, I only wanted to create for the theater, mm. but uh, you know, but I, I, I totally respect uh, what uh, I learned and what was taught to me by doing these uh, old musicals, you know, these real classics. So I think any, any young director choreographer mm -hmm. coming up should really um, study them, understand them. And, and, and realize why certain songs were done, certain scenes were put in and, and the journey that a musical goes on. Because, you know, we do want to all create, you know, we want to create something new, but, but uh, those people who do stand on the shoulders of the history of theater that's come before them are the mm -hmm. ones that create the greatest pieces. I, a good example of that, of course, is Lin-Manuel he has great respect for Rodgers and Hammerstein and Jerome mm. Hearn and Cole Porter. And, and um, I've seen him interact with um, older composers and, and uh, lyricists and, and he has unbelievable respect for them. And, and I think that does inform his work and he's able to take that knowledge and then create something very brand new and uh, amazing, you know, so, but he's a very good example of someone who understands where it all started. Would you say that there are musicals that could break your sort of revival uh, dry spell that you would want to work on, that you would want to approach? I, it's bad to call it a dry spell because it hasn't been for you, but you just, you've been doing all new stuff. Yeah, well, I probably do revivals of my own things now. <laughs> okay, okay. That that makes sense. And your own things have chapters in this book as well. So um, you yeah, can. Certainly, yeah. it'd be lovely to do a revival of Crazy for You. I hope that happens. That'd oh, really? Why, why that one springs to mind as something that you'd want to revive? Well, I think, too, that it has it's great joy, you know, mm. complete joy, and it's Gershwin music. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and it just has so much dance from beginning to end and and about a, a young man who's got to grow up and make the decision whether to work in the bank for his mother mm -hmm. or, or do what he loves and, and uh, create in the theater, you know, so uh, and, and also about how a town without art or without a theater will dry up and die and that mm. that this young man goes to Dead Rock, Nevada and revises, you know, this town and brings it back to life. And we've all seen that in towns over America. When you lose a theater or you lose a museum or art, that the town will dry up. So I think it's a good statement to bring back now to remind people how important art in a town uh, is and, and how it will make a town come to life. And do you think, were you to revive Crazy for You, 
would you lean purist with something that you had created or would you be saying, no, we're going back and you know what, we're putting a leap in here, follow my lead. <laughs> oh, I think, well, you know what I do, uh, I am inspired by the actors and the dancers. So I always have a plan when I go in the room, but if an actor uh, says I could do that better if I turned to the left or I could do that better if I jumped here, I certainly, uh, you know, want to do that and make it make it feel comfortable for them. So I do mm. change choreography as even for national tours, you know, for okay. for the actor, because you in the end, you want it to look like they've made the whole thing up, that there's no other way they could have danced. There's no other way they could have jumped. So okay. it has to be completely comfortable for them. So I, I yeah, I would whoever our cast would be, I would. Um, adapt it for them and make it mm. theirs. That's awesome. I've got just one last question for you. That's a little bit similar, but um, so Mel Brooks sort of has a famous interview where he says if he could go back, he'd be a fly on the wall in the writer's room for guys and dolls. Even if it's not to revive something, is there a show that you would love to just go back and be present for its creation just to see how that, was being made and if you need to take a second to think about it they'll edit out your silence so yes well I think probably the show that we started with a fly on the wall to see Florence Ziegfeld say let's do showboat mm. <laughs> I mean I think that they came up with that idea at a time when people only saw a line of tap dancing girls and and follies feathers and and comics that they would do showboats. So yeah, a fly on the wall for that meeting would be would be great. And yeah, so Florence Ziegfeld, who else do you think was there for that meeting? Well, I guess Jerome Kern, you know, mm -hmm. and that, yeah. I mean, um, I, I, I don't know, I don't know who the stars were at, okay. at that time I, of 1927. I don't have that on the tip of my tongue, That's but, okay. <laughs> but it would be, you know, wonderful just to see uh, how dance was now going to be realistic. That dance mm. was going to be authentic of the time, authentic of the period, as opposed to just breaking the fourth wall and, and dancing out front and that's all the audience was mm. used to. So now this was going to be new, very, very new. So it would mm. be great to um, be in that uh, collaborative team and and hear what they had to say. Absolutely. Well, thank I'm sure someone said, you're crazy. We can't do that. Bring on oh, the dance girls, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Do you yeah. think, is there any moment in Showboat that is sort of residual of that you're crazy mentality? Do you think there were any concessions? Like we have to put this in here, people will expect it? Um, well, no, I think, um, you know, that the very wonderful song of Old Man River, which mm. we actually, we actually, we, we would thread that through our production, Hal Prince's production with me. And we would thread that through and I think I think it's that particular song too resonates as as something where um, those lyrics about it, you know, we just keep rolling along and keep trying, and we're sweating and straining, and um, but the you know the river keeps rolling along. Uh, that that whole idea I think is very strong in Showboat, and and uh, it'd be great to 
try to apply that to another musical someday where uh, it has those kind of lyrics that really, because yeah, I'll tell you, it really resonates to what's happening today. You know, oh, so. that, yeah, that whole song. Talk about yeah. an underdog song. Um, yeah. Talk about, you know, an anthem that represents so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Please make sure to purchase a copy of 50K Stage Musicals by visiting routledge.com or by clicking in today's show description. And if you want to learn more about Showboat, please also review the links in the below description. I'm Andrew Child, and thank you for listening to 50 Key Stage Musicals, the podcast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.